This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I am your host, Steve Anderson, and today our guest is Glenn Kasman. Glenn is a retired healthcare executive, having served as president of the East Region of Multicare Health System in the Puget Sound area, which is a provider of comprehensive inpatient and outpatient services. Glenn's portfolio includes hospital, clinic, physician, and health system operations, as well as community relations, strategic planning, and business development transactions. He began his career as a physical therapist and co-authored text materials on kinesiological surface electromyography and musculoskeletal pain, and presented extensively on clinical topics in national and international settings. Glenn was the recipient of the 2000 Physical Therapist of the Year Award from the Washington State Physical Therapy Association. He administered Level 1 trauma and CARF-accredited inpatient rehabilitation programs, as well as numerous outpatient physical medicine and rehabilitation services and clinics, and was active in reimbursement advocacy and professional association leadership. Glenn is a physical therapist who uh, became the president and CEO of a very large hospital. He's a real role model for all PTs who want to pursue that healthcare administration career. He shows how he was, uh, or he shares with us how he was forced to retire due to a devastating health diagnosis. You know, uh, Glenn is wicked smart and just a, a real great leader. And uh, he's accomplished a lot in his life, and I'm just thrilled he was willing to share it, uh, share his experiences with us on this podcast. So let's jump right into it and uh, talk with Glenn Kasman. Welcome to the program, Glenn. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Well, good afternoon, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. You're, you bet. Well, let's just start from the beginning. Uh, kind of tell us where did you grow up, and uh, when did physical therapy first hit your radar? Well, I grew up in the New York metropolitan area, uh, about 45 minutes out from the city uh, in the suburbs, and uh, went to undergraduate school upstate New York. And then um, when I finished undergraduate school in psychobiology, I, I didn't really know what to do with myself and continued on in uh, neuroscience, behavioral neuroscience at Northwestern University in Chicago and Evanston. That's, and, that's right. I forgot we were a Northwestern alumni uh, uh, together. So that's awesome. Yeah, right on. So you and, went to uh, uh, then you went to uh, PT school at Northwestern as well, right? That's correct. So I went to PT school at Northwestern, having concluded that uh, an academic career in brain research was not the right path for me, and um, loved the program at Northwestern, and ended up out here in Seattle. Oh, that's awesome. And so what was your first professional uh, position outside of PT school? My first professional position outside of PT school would have been uh, as a staff physical therapist with Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle. Okay. And how did you get out to Seattle? Was it the, the job that brought you out here or did you get out here in a different way? Well, it's pretty serendipitous. Uh, at the time, I was scheduled to do an internship, my final internship, uh, with a facility in Chicago that was not one that I particularly wanted to be at. And uh, two nights before I was supposed to start, they canceled because their clinical instructor became sick and unavailable. And at the same time, a slot opened up uh, for Seattle. And although I had not been out here before, I went to PT school with a number of Seattle area folks who just loved it and said, and the, the school offered to plug me into Seattle. And I said, sounds great. Let's go. And I've never left. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So when did you know that, uh, you know, you started to head towards the business administration side of physical therapy as opposed to the clinician side? Obviously, you started as a clinician, but... At what point could you kind of head in a different direction? 
Well, I always uh, really felt good about entering physical therapy and the opportunities that were available in clinical practice, teaching, education, research, and administration. And uh, one day after uh, being clinical practice, probably for, uh, I guess, around seven or eight years, I, I suppose, I remember going to my manager at the time and saying, why, why do we do this particular thing in the, I don't even remember what it was, this particular thing in the clinic a certain way. And, and he said, well, that's pretty much just the way we've always done it. And if you want to change it, knock yourself out. <laughs> so I did. And, uh, and I found I kind of liked it. And uh, that brought me into a supervisor position. At Virginia Mason. Yeah, that's great. So walk us through uh, the various healthcare uh, executive type positions that you've held and, and what, what feeds your soul the most when you're doing those kind of things. Yeah, uh, let's go through the pathway first and then I'll tie back to what, what feeds my soul. Uh, from Virginia Mason, I had an opportunity at Good Samaritan Hospital in Puyallup, Washington which at the time was a almost a relatively sleepy community hospital attached to a national class inpatient rehab program, I know patient rehab program, and became the physical therapy director there and then moved to the director of physical medicine and rehabilitation there. Then wanted at that point to break out into a larger administrative role and uh, I knew physical therapy and physical medicine rehab well, but I was not really familiar with other aspects of healthcare. But an opportunity came open in the hospital's outpatient surgery center, an ambulatory surgery center. And uh, as crazy as it sounded at the time, I, I decided to throw my hat in the ring and got the position and led uh, an operational turnaround there and resyndicated the corporate structure of the ambulatory surgery center from a wholly owned entity of the hospital to a hospital physician joint venture. And that's, that started my juices flowing on the strategy side of things. At some point after that, there, uh, then current CEO at Good Samaritan uh, left and uh, the new CEO came in who uh, allowed me to uh, come into the vice president for strategy role, which had also recently been vacated uh, because he liked the results at the surgery center. And that was the career opportunity of a lifetime because Good Samaritan at the time had just been approved by the board to seek a larger health system affiliation partner. There was a lot of consolidation going on in health systems then as it is now. And, uh, I had the opportunity to manage the affiliation process for Good Samaritan uh, from beginning to end, and that brought us into affiliation with Multicare Health System. Yeah, that's, and then, that's a huge organization, yes. Yes, yes. And it was just a wonderful opportunity to be able to participate in this, uh, really starting off from Googling how to affiliate a health system. Uh, so it was pretty much uh, figured out as I go along. Uh, I went from there to uh, uh, various vice president positions of uh, various professional services, uh, strategy and business development. And uh, then an opportunity came up where the then president of CEO post-affiliation with Multicare was retiring and uh, I was fortunate to be groomed into the slot to succeed him and did so in 2011. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Did you have to kind of pinch yourself to say, uh, man, what seat am I in now? Yeah, I, I really had a great opportunity with Multicare and Good Samaritan. I never left those organizations once I started because uh, – I frankly found ongoing opportunity every few years to change positions and find increasing responsibility and and uh, benefits and very much had a great path with them. 
And when you, uh, you know, think back on those positions and, you know, through that uh, illustrious career, what, again, what, what fed your soul in those positions? What, what did you feel that uh, um, you were doing that was making a difference? Yeah, thank you for taking me back to that. Uh, and that was the mission of the organization, which was to improve healthcare for the community. Uh, we had a community in East Pierce and ultimately South King that I was also responsible for of several hundred thousand people. And I saw my job as tangibly improving access by the residents to healthcare and quality healthcare and making the organization responsive to their needs. So I've always been organized around mission, vision, and values. And um, these leadership roles were a wonderful fit for me to express that. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, Glenn, how, how do, you know, a lot of new professionals discover maybe they come out and they, uh, the day-to-day -day patient treatment life really isn't for them. And, and if they do aspire to follow a, a more um, administration management type of role like you have, how do they begin and, and what steps should they take uh, early in that career to kind of work in that direction? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there are several different pathways that one could take. Um, to begin with, uh, the one could seek resources from the American Physical Therapy Association and the Section on Health Policy and Administration. There are numerous other professional societies that help provide guidance in uh, developing leadership and management skills. Uh, not unique to physical therapy, but uh, for example, I pursued work through the American College of Healthcare Executives, which is a credible organization to do that, and there's, there's several others out there. I think one could also uh, take the path that I did, uh, and within a organization, if it's a larger clinic or a clinic system, to uh, throw your hat in the ring when an opportunity comes up for supervisory or management position. And at that point, express enthusiasm and, and passion and put together a game plan for how to pick up the skills, whether going back to that coursework or even beginning by reading some textbooks that you would download from Amazon or management articles online. It's very easy to find and get your your feet wet and, and progressively jump into the deeper end of the pool. And, and when we look at, you know, getting into healthcare administration roles, um, do other administrators that you're working with, do they know that you're a physical therapist and, and does it help or hinder your progress uh, through the ranks? I think uh, in my case, certainly everyone knew that I was a physical therapist. And uh, I think I think ultimately it helped uh, because it lends itself to being able to identify with frontline clinical staff, having been a clinician. Um, I understand their issues, their challenges, and, uh, and can relate to their everyday life better. And they feel confident uh, because knowing that I was a clinician uh, that I have that perspective. And so do you feel like uh, PTs have any kind of unique qualities that are well-suited uh, to being effective healthcare executives? I do, in fact. Uh, physical therapists, I think, tend to be very team-oriented and interacting with team members uh, is just so crucial to putting together an effective organization and leading it. And physical therapists tend to, by virtue of their clinical interaction with other disciplines, I think function well, potentially administratively with other disciplines and administrators too. I think physical therapists have a sensitivity to function and to holistic care of the patient and their loved ones which is certainly consistent with uh, good leadership in healthcare and administrative practice. 
And I think physical therapists in general tend to be well-rounded individuals who seek uh, a holistic, healthy life. You know, and, and has your experience been as mine that, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of physical therapists in the higher level uh, executive roles in healthcare uh, uh, systems. So um, why do you think that is or, or are we just not, uh, am I missing them? What, what, what's your take on it? Well, you're certainly right. There aren't many. And I, I don't know exactly why I could speculate that the type of individual who seeks uh, progressive leadership in non-physical therapy settings, that is in a hospital or broader health system, uh, tends to self-select and gravitate towards particular areas and more likely private practice. And so they see their pathway as advancing in private practice and it just takes them off in that direction and less often uh, in the non-PT or non-physical medicine and rehab world. I think it may feel sort of intimidating too. Uh, you know, how do you possibly move through this really complicated hospital bureaucracy and navigate a system structure? And I think many PTs uh, just aren't interested in that. Many PTs, uh, certainly who go to private practice, start off that way, uh, feeling a preference not to be in a corporate structure or, or a large corporate structure. And to advance within a large health system is all about the structure and navigating and dealing with bureaucracy and politics and the economics of it. So it's, it's not for everybody. And that's a good lead-in because my next thought was, I'm intrigued. Do you, did you strategically work toward uh, the president role once you got in the system, and you you know you kind of set your goals and your, you know, this is what I'd like to be. Uh, did, did was that on the radar, or did it just kind of evolve um, over time? Uh, a little bit of both. I I knew once Multicare affiliated with Good Samaritan that I wanted to continue to be a part of Multicare and uh, move on to to large, higher positions in the organization. And the I didn't know exactly what that path would look like. And uh, I had the opportunity, I had a choice given to me to either uh, move towards the system senior vice president for strategy or the president of Good Samaritan. And I, I chose the latter uh, largely out of emotional affiliation with the East Pierce area and uh, fulfilling what I saw as the mission, vision, and values of Good Samaritan within the multi-care health system. And, you know, for those who don't um, know the geography or the area, I mean, this is a big suburban hospital with a huge budget. Um, you know, were the numbers uh, intimidating, or do you just kind of get used to dealing with those kind of numbers over time? You get used to dealing with it. Uh, it's it's a shock at first, uh, as you see the number of zeros and, and the complexity behind the structure. Uh, but like anything else, you get used to dealing with that. And uh, let me return to your, your last question. Once it was identified that I was aiming to succeed the prior, my predecessor in the president role, um, I developed a very structured plan um, how to get from here to there, which included uh, professional coaching, executive coaching, which I know is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, enrollment, uh, I did a certificate program at Harvard, uh, which was a ass kicker, uh, but uh, learned a lot. And, and had a whole lot of other developmental steps. So there was a very defined pathway for me to move through so that when I came into the role, I was primed and ready to go. So talk a little bit about the coaching uh, services that, that you, know, you, uh, you hired somebody to do that with you and, and, and what were you looking for and, and what did it do 
uh, just kind of share that experience a little bit because I think a lot of people do think, well, you know, maybe I need a coach or should I need a coach and, and not sure uh, what to expect and, and how to go about it. So just, just share that part of your journey with us. Certainly. Uh, the coaching program for me, I thought would help me to fill in the gaps of how I can best view myself, how others viewed me, what strengths and weaknesses and talents and challenges do I have that I, I know of and can uh, amplify the, the effective ones? And what are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? And how do I become aware of and mitigate those in practice? How can I um, communicate most effectively? Take that administrative uh, street smarts, in effect, uh, navigating politics, and uh, be my very best self. I think the coach uh, helped offer a perspective to me that I, I personally could not have gotten on my own in the same way, and not as quickly. And had I not done it, I probably would have been a less, a little bit less well prepared. And uh, having done it, as I mentioned, I was able to hit the ground running. And I will add that another factor that was synergistic with that was that my my boss, who I was to succeed at the time, was very engaged and supportive both with me and the coaching process. And so we were able to candidly talk about what was going on in coaching, uh, get his feedback, and develop opportunities to put new practices into place. And, and share with us, what's what's the day-to-day like for somebody in that position, president, CEO of a large hospital like that? Uh, you know, what is your biggest challenge as, as, as that uh, executive? And, uh, um, you know, uh, what's the pressure like? It's I would, I'd imagine it's got to be a lot of pressure. The pressure can be intense. Uh, the typical day would start at 7 o'clock in the morning with the first meeting. First meeting would usually be uh, something having to do with the board of directors or a subcommittee or a physician meeting or a community leader meeting or a physician staff leading meeting, uh, which all needed to take place before the those folks went into their regular day. Uh, it would then be followed by additional meetings pretty much until well, five or six o'clock. And then uh, there would be a, a dinner break. And sometimes I'd get to go home and start email. And sometimes uh, there'd be after dinner or dinner meetings that can go on till 8.30 or 9 at night and then start 150 emails. Uh, and... Uh, considerable amount of work on the weekends, not infrequently. So the, the time demands are intense. And one in that role is making decisions all day long, uh, with mostly with pretty high stakes. And the, the ultimate is that the, the buck with whatever happens in the region lies with me. So you're painting a, a picture of, uh, uh, which doesn't surprise me at all, uh, being in that uh, present CEO position of the time demands and the stress and so on. But uh, uh, they're, they're, to offset that, there must be some, some parts that are just uh, real exciting and, and, um, and, 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 you know, as we said earlier, feed your soul and, and give you purpose. Yeah, indeed. And I think many physical therapists as I was referencing before, don't care for large bureaucratic health systems. I always felt comfortable there and was drawn to it because if you can cut through the bureaucracy or realign the, the energies and resources of the organization, your, your intent and your plans become capable of really doing big things. So in a smaller clinic I, that perhaps I would be in charge of, uh, it'd be easy, easy for me to just you know, do what I want to do. 
but my impact is going to be a little bit limited in scope. In a big health system, it's very difficult to get resources lined up to what you want to do, but if you can, you can achieve big things. Big things like um, building an 80,000 square foot medical office building that improves access for a community into outpatient services. Things like uh, obtaining approval from the state certificate of need program to add additional hospital beds so that there's more inpatient availability. Things like building a new patient care tower, opening up a new emergency department, uh, expanding mental health care services, any innumerable one of things that uh, takes huge amounts of capital, millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of capital and a lot of operational resource to execute. And you can do it and you can make a difference. And that was really uh, what fed my soul was the sense of purpose uh, that I was contributing with uh, great team members to make a difference in the lives of hundreds of thousands of people by improving their health and wellness. That fed my soul. And that's that's awesome. And were you able to build your own team and surround yourself with uh, your people or the people you wanted to, um, or was it kind of the structure already set? Tell me about the team that you worked with and what your role was in putting it together. Yeah, I inherited the team that was there when I succeeded my boss at the time and worked with many of those individuals as peers and had uh, good working relationships with all of them and move forward. Uh, as time went on, um, some some of those folks changed uh, where either they moved on for personal reasons or in a few rare instances, uh, we determined that it was no longer the best fit. Uh, so yes, I, I started with a team and was able to over time uh, progressively uh, make it uh, my, my personal team. And sometimes when you start out, as you mentioned, with peers like that, it, it's hard to all of a sudden be the boss now with those same peers. And there's, you know, jealousies and and uh, all kinds of interesting human uh, emotions that can come out in that. Uh, uh, that's sure. not always an easy job to do. Sure, that can be the case. And you know, let's draw the distinction between management and leadership here. Um, there, and I'm referring to management as the more tactical side of things like hiring, performance appraisal, disciplinary action, budgeting, productivity, scheduling, uh, procuring supplies, and that sort of thing. And then there's leadership, uh, which is to my view, helping to really harness the collective energy of the organization so that the organization uh, accomplishes something that is way bigger than the sum of its parts and you really become something bigger than yourself. Yeah, it's Within that, really well said. That leadership framework, I, I think people in the healthcare executive world tend to gravitate towards one of two sides, either they tend to be more into the, st the strategy side of things or more operations oriented. Uh, and, and certainly at the level of president, you, you've got to be able to do both. Uh, but having said that, my sweet spot was probably on the strategy side. Um, so for me, that became relying really uh, on my operations team to um, to do their part, and so I would seek to help to collaboratively design or design our goals, and hand it over to the the executive team, and stay out of their way, and and uh, touch base, and you know manage the gutters, but let them do their thing, and put my trust in them and communicate honestly and authentically and uh, build a relationship over time and credibility and trust. Yeah, that's great. And, and how do you measure uh, how, if you're doing a good job as president of an organization like that? 
a number of ways to do that, uh, which range from very objective and tangible to uh, subjective and intangible. Uh, there are, on the objective side of things, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of metrics uh, that the health system would track across its various divisions and care, care lines and services. And that could be quality measures. Uh, for example, how many hospital acquired central line infections uh, do we have per 1,000 admissions? To uh, sepsis mortality, to how fast does someone who comes into the ED with a heart attack or suspected heart attack get appropriate care or stroke care, to patient satisfaction, which are measured with standardized instruments, uh, financial performance, looking at the, the profit and loss statement and the balance sheet, uh, staff engagement, which would be measured by survey, and then um, moving towards strategic goals of, of increasing market share, um, putting together some, some big merger or acquisition with physician partners or outside, uh, outside partners uh, to create some, some new medical office building again or some new clinical service line delivery. And then there's the impact on the community and the feedback from the community. Does the community and community leaders, the local government, local big civic organizations, are you getting support from them uh, verbally uh, with uh, foundation relationships and town halls and just putting your ear to the ground and saying, tell me how you're doing, how we're doing and getting feedback. And, you know, some of those, as you said, are objective measures and, and some aren't. And so obviously you can't have your hands on all that stuff all the time. Uh, I would presume it's, it's, um, it, it's a culture that you create. And so tell us about the culture you, you created at the, um, at the hospital um, system and, and um, you know, how, how did that help you uh, be measured by all those things you just mentioned? The culture that I was striving for uh, in my divisions was, again, fidelity to the organization's mission, vision, and values, and trying to bring that out. I think most healthcare workers are just great people. They work really hard to do the right thing and spread themselves out and are willing, as we saw during this era of the pandemic, to put themselves at great risk and do what they needed to to take care of people, take care of their patients. So in practice, I would hold uh, all staff meetings and town halls and uh, with my leadership team, and I would tend to begin each meeting with putting up the, the mission statement or the vision statement or the value statement or some other philosophy of care statement and reminding people of uh, what it is and trying to bring out a little bit, what does this mean to you? Here's what it means to me. Oftentimes we would have a chaplain lead an invocation. And this is, I think, a fairly unique practice uh, that is not common in most health systems, but Good Samaritan's legacy is of a Lutheran hospital. And although it's secular now, uh, it's, there's a really strong pastoral care program that went on. So because of its Lutheran history, before a board meeting or a big staff meeting, a chaplain would get up there and offer uh, an invocation, which could include a, a prayer, a secular prayer, non-denominational prayer. And I found that this was so moving to me, and it seemed to mean so much to other people that we continued it and expanded it. And uh, by being consistent in speaking to mission, vision, values, uh, whether it be through an indication in a meeting or coming back to it in all of my communications over and over and over again, uh, it begins to spread. And when resources are always fewer than you want them to be, 
and difficult decisions have to be made. And when it wasn't apparent to me out of the gate, what was the best decision to make? I would go back to mission, vision, and values and just go through systematically what best serves those elements. And that's the thought process that I would lead with, with the leadership team, my leadership team, when collectively we were trying to make a difficult decision. And it's what I would come back to over and over again with physicians and, and other staff members. And then isn't it true that in that position in a community uh, that you worked in, uh, which is common for hospital CEOs, I would I would think, is that you're almost like a celebrity. You know, everybody wants you at their dedication. Everybody wants you at their fundraiser. Everybody wants you, you know, at the community event. So uh, sure, there's a lot of pressure to be at a lot of different places, and um, you know, that can't be easy to, to say no to some and, and yes to others. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. Um, you know, people want a piece of you all the time because uh, in a large health system, in a large community, there's all kinds of different agendas going on. And if you've got the ability, the authority or the influence for someone to get closer to what they want, uh, they're going to press you for it. Um, or they just want, want to connect with you uh, even without having a particular agenda. So you're right, there's only so much you can do and um, you have to make decisions as to where the highest priorities, uh, try to distribute some of the, the load for that across the leadership team uh, so that I don't have to go to every single thing and, uh, and do your best and, uh, and it does become a lot. And then it's fair to say, well, how, how do you balance those time demands and pressures with home life? And that can certainly be a challenge, um, especially, you know, if you're raising a family at the time, as I was, and you sometimes just have to say, uh, you know, I'd really like to do this community function, but I, my kid's going to play soccer that day and I need to be there. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I can only imagine. And, you know, that's a relationship side of the position for sure. You got to be a great relationship builder. And then, you know, people um, do want to know you and get to know you. So is that a, was that natural for you to do the relationship side? Or was that something you had to work out a little harder? Uh, that was an area for me to work at and become better and better at. Um, I believe I had strong, positive relations with uh, my board of directors and staff and other peer executives within the, the system. Um, but I think it was a stretch for me to be more extroverted in community settings and just move through all this, the small talk and uh, working the room and shaking hands and 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 uh, building those connections. Uh, although over time, I, I certainly became comfortable with it, and and I think reasonably effective with it. Yeah, you know. Also, what do you see as the biggest roadblock to having the healthcare system that I think we all want in this country? You know, there's a, you know we want great access, we want great customer service at a reasonable cost, and sometimes it just seems like it's it's so hard to to meet those goals. So. Uh, what are we lacking at and, and what can we do better to try and um, get to that? I mean, if your access, if you have, need a, need a health care, I mean, I think we all can agree it's, it's pretty top-notch service, but uh, the bureaucracy, the, the access issues, and, uh, and the out-of-control costs just seems like uh, uh, hills that are, that are really hard to climb. Yeah, they are. And I, I wish I had the wisdom to really provide a good answer to your question uh, because it eludes me and, and I think many others. Uh, but I would say some of the key pieces are one, that we are, as a healthcare delivery system, nationally not very patient centric. We're learning how to get better, but we're not there yet. Uh, and certainly, all big healthcare systems and many other individual providers talk about wanting to do the best they possibly can for patient satisfaction. 
But when it comes down to it, it's really hard to pull off because providers are very busy. Everything costs a lot of money. Things need to move in an efficient flow. And uh, it just becomes too resource intensive. But that still leaves patients on the outside of not, not being delayed in care, not having adequate access, not having uh, providers give them the time that they need and the full sensitivity to their uh, issues that they would wish to have. And it seems like uh, a lot of the systems, uh, you know, are, are so big. Do you think it's an advantage to be in a big healthcare system? Or do they get too big and, and kind of stumble over themselves sometimes? Uh, there can be a, both economies and diseconomies of scale. Uh, the larger systems become absolutely necessary in certain markets where facilities require replacement. Big investments need to be made in IT, electronic health records. Um, or the regulatory environment becomes too complex and it just becomes too difficult, too capital intensive, too operationally inefficient for an individual hospital to survive on its own. So the impetus becomes there to come into a larger system. Once in the larger system, uh, you do pick up economies of scale and certain efficiencies, you know, you don't need two executives of everything. Um, and you can reduce some expensive staff members. You have much greater leverage in contracting for supplies. Uh, you can probably negotiate more effectively with payer health insurance companies. Uh, so you can become more efficient. Uh, on the other hand, if there is too much consolidation and no competition in the healthcare marketplace, I believe that works against innovation and uh, and is not best for the health community. You know, and, and again, just a, a left field observation on my part, it seems like uh, maybe other than Virginia Mason and Seattle, but uh, uh, CEOs of, of large uh, healthcare systems, hospitals like that, uh, uh, aren't in that position too long. They, they change fairly frequently. Is that uh, because it's just... Uh, too big a job? Is it because of burnout? Why do you think that uh, CEOs of hospital systems don't seem to have the tenure that they that CEOs in um, in business seem to have? You're right. Uh, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, getting not lasting long is a common occupational hazard at the executive level in healthcare, and um, I think that's because. The demands are so great, and oftentimes uh, burnout can be a factor. Um, it can take a toll, its toll on health. Uh, an individual may dis decide that it's too disruptive of personal life and family life, and all these consolidations taking place, uh, they don't need two presidents, they don't need two, CFOs, two CFOs, so half of them go, oftentimes. Yeah, and, if and that's it, that's just yeah. part of the deal. Yeah. yeah. So you you just live with that as part of the deal. If a if a PT wants to expand their experience and uh, exposure in healthcare beyond APTA, I think you mentioned it earlier, but let's let's go back to that a little bit. What professional organization should they look to to join and and become a member of or become part of? Well, uh, as I mentioned, the one that was uh, mostly directly an influence for me was the American College of Healthcare Executives, or ACHE. And they offer structured uh, training programs that culminate in a fellowship certification. Another common one, if you're really going to be in the outpatient side, would be the Medical Group Management Association. And these are obviously not PT-specific. Um, the American Hospital Association um, has a, a tract that's helpful if you are hospital-based. Um, and uh, I believe even uh, some 
state PT chapters will either have administrative sections directly or be able to indirectly provide administrative resources uh, through their private practice subgroup or, or something along those lines. Um, I think probably the best step for someone at a PT who is contemplating um, moving into a, a more senior executive position is to do some, um, you know, online in, uh, interviewing with informational interviewing with somebody that they know or is a friend of a friend or someone who can uh, take them on as a mentor or work with a coach. And you also mentioned earlier too that uh, you went back to Harvard for a program and you said it was a real, uh, real intense. So uh, tell us a little bit about that and what you gained out of that experience. I was looking at the time for a program that would really uh, help propel me to the next level in strategic perspective. And there are a number of well-known prestigious universities that run programs like this to train uh, budding administrators. Uh, I settled on the Harvard program and uh, it was everything that you'd expect and more. Um, we would have uh, just intense, intense uh, homework and classroom time that really helped me push my limits and gain new perspective that I, I brought back to my every single day, uh, both the technical issues, uh, for example, involving strategic finance to regulatory issues to the sorts of leadership challenges that we've been talking about before. So you've been uh, going at it for a while. It's, it's, it's intense. It takes a lot of time, as you said, and it's not easy. So. At what point did you decide it was time to retire? Well, for me, that was a personal decision that came up when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Uh, I had been having some weird, uh, I noticed my arm didn't swing when I was hiking a couple of years before and some tremor and some, some other things that I totally did not connect the dots on at the time, which is common in retrospect. And uh, at, the, at some point it, became weird enough or disturbing enough that I went to see my personal physician. We tried some things that didn't work. I went and saw one of the neurologists uh, at Multicare who knew what it was within 30 seconds of looking at me. And uh, we went through a, a more involved diagnostic process. And I, my career path, uh, shifted from wanting to continue to possibly move on to a larger health system to just trying to hang on uh, for as long as I could. And things got to the point, uh, probably within a year of diagnosis, uh, that it just became apparent to me that uh, it was just too much. Uh, I just did not have the stamina to do 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks with that kind of intensity. Wow. So I, I made the decision to retire. Yeah. That must have been devastating. I mean, I can, I'm sure there's a, a very uh, strong emotional component to that as well as just, uh, you know, um, knocks you off your rocker, so to speak, and uh, time to, to reprioritize and look at different things. It does, indeed. And one has to, you know, step back and reflect on one's life. Um, this is a transition that we probably all have to make at some point. You know, we all retire. And uh, for those of us who have had a self-concept that's closely identified with their professional role, you really have to stop and reflect, uh, well, what do I do now? And what's my meaning? What's my purpose? How do I contribute? So for me, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like. I, I started talking with people who had retired six months or a year before me and just from from the executive ranks 
and just sort of ask them what was it like for them. And of course they had different circumstances of different sorts and got their feedback and suggestions and was prepared for it to be really difficult. And you know, it wasn't. <laughs> okay, good. And, uh, which was shocking to me. And I think the benefits that I had were having had uh, a, a strong career uh, where I felt that I had in fact contributed to healthcare and wellness in, in uh, East Pierce and South King counties. Uh, that I had helped fulfill the mission and, and expand the vision. Um, also that uh, I had been a, a good clinician as a physical therapist and have also published and taught internationally and nationally. Uh, so I, I had a great career. And, and I can continue to give back, but in different ways. So now I do a lot of volunteer work for the the National Parkinson's Foundation. Okay, and uh, and so what uh, besides that volunteer piece? What 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 brings you joy in retirement? It's going on what about five years now? That's right. Yeah. So what 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 does uh, Glenn do to to you know uh, to enjoy um, this time of your life that you've worked so hard for? Uh, travel pre-pandemic, and uh, hopefully coming back. Um, having time with family, friends, loved ones that I would not have had if I was working, being able to engage with uh, spiritual development and uh, reading philosophy and comparative religion um, and uh, various aspects of anthropology, behavioral economics, uh, things that I would just never have time for otherwise are now available to me, and uh, and that's really quite wonderful. I I am living in a, a rural place, uh, which I never would have expected, and uh, I it's small and quirky, and beautiful, and I take great joy in being here and have gratitude every day for all that I've had and do have. Yeah, that that sounds great. And and Glenn, I I don't know you personally super well, so I hope it's okay for me to ask this question. But how do you look at uh, Parkinson's going forward? Is it, uh, you know, is it fearful? Is it, uh, you know, hard to face? Or do you have optimism? Um, how do you approach every day with uh, that kind of a diagnosis? All those things. Um, when I was first diagnosed. I, and for those who don't know, it's a chronic progressive neurological disease. The state of the art is such that there's all kinds of wonderful potential treatments in the pipeline, but nothing that will get to market within the next three to five years, I don't think. That will be a game changer, at least. And when I was first diagnosed, I was hoping that a game changer would come out before my function declined to uh, you know, to a certain level where I lost my independence. Uh, now, unfortunately, I have to deal with the reality that I don't think that will be the case. So um, I have to stay focused on uh, not so much what I can't do or where things might be going, although I need to accept the reality of, of those possibilities, but instead stay focused on what I can do and find inspirational role models who are plentiful of people who uh, just despite the odds, they get out there and focus on what they can do and they make it happen. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that's uh, hard to get vulnerable on these podcasts sometimes, but uh, you know, hearing that from you and, and what you've been through and what you're experiencing, I think uh, uh, can be helpful to others that uh, have um, themselves or friends or family that are going through similar uh, issues. So thanks for sharing that. Certainly. You know, I want to yeah, uh, just for very, very briefly come back to uh, your question, basically, what's wrong with healthcare? Because uh, I'd, I'd only touched on one aspect of that. Sure. And, and I, I just want to mention that the, as everyone knows, the economic system uh, that supports the U.S. healthcare system is not so great. Uh, you know, per capita, we spend about twice as much as 
the nearest uh, closest developing nation and our health outcomes are not as good. And we've had a system traditionally in fee-for-service that rewards doing more stuff to people instead of doing the right stuff to people or with people. Uh, so we need to provide economic systems that financially reward quality and prevention and patient satisfaction and cost efficiency, which is to say value. And that's extraordinarily difficult to do in practice, although we are clearly getting better at it. When I came out into the physical therapy world from uh, having been trained in neurophysiology, the clinical literature was at the time, in the, this is in the mid eighties, was shockingly bad. Uh, it was just not well-designed experiments and they were not well represented in the literature. And I can remember going to my first APTA meeting, national meeting, uh, where the keynote speaker, uh, I don't even recall who it was, uh, was speaking to this movement from the APTA to promote evidence-based care. And it's not that people didn't want to be evidence-based throughout the healthcare at the time, but there was this increasing recognition that we needed to bring clinical science to bear to a much greater degree. And so led by the professional associations and progressively adapted by providers and researchers, we collectively, all of us, moved to much more evidence-based practice in PT and in healthcare, where the number of high-quality studies has just exploded exponentially and made a difference. And then the same sort of thing happened with patient satisfaction, where we finally acknowledged that what the patient and their family experiences when they're receiving services from us matters. And it's been really difficult and we're not where we want to be as a national healthcare system, but we are moving the needle on patient satisfaction. And most recently, it's really come down to value. How do we maintain and improve quality and satisfaction while maintaining cost that is effective and tolerable by individuals and that doesn't provide a drag on U.S. growth. And that's really the challenge that we lean into for the next decade is how do we truly deliver value? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Glenn, usually at this time of the interview, I always ask my guests the same common question. And that question is, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today? I would suggest uh, having a sense of purpose, knowing what your purpose is, and using that as your anchor to uh, make decisions, to share with others so that they know what you're all about, be faithful to it, come back to it frequently, be authentic, and you'll, you'll land in the right spot. Well, thank you, Glenn. Well said. And, uh, you know, I just uh, I want to say thank you for your time today. Uh, you know, I've admired you and your career uh, for many, many years, uh, both of us being from the same uh, general area. And you've done a, uh, amazing things. And from a PTs that watched you get there, we were all amazed and very proud of what you did. So uh, uh, thanks for all you've done. And uh, I wish you the best of luck going forward with, um, you know, a battle against a tough disease. It, it, I'm sure it won't be easy, but uh, it sounds like you have the right mindset and, uh, and um, there is optimism to be had. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, I appreciate the time and the opportunity to chat today. And uh, let me say ditto back to you on uh, my admiration for you and your work and what you've accomplished and what you continue to offer the PT and healthcare community. And thanks a lot. Thank you, Glenn. Take care. Bye now. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. 
You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com. 